Well, if you are joining us here for the first time, we have been looking for the past goodness knows how many months at what it means to live a life that is a well-lived life. And we've been looking at some practices, some things that Christians throughout the world and Christians throughout history have incorporated in their lives to help them get to know Jesus more. And if you are here and you don't, you wouldn't know whether you call yourself a Christian yet, or you're not sure whether you'd say you get, you know Jesus at all. We've been looking at these journey and each of these things hopefully will help you to get to know Jesus more. And for others of us, we've been following Jesus for many, many years. And hopefully these practices have kind of refreshed us a little bit about what it looks like to follow Jesus. So now we're kind of coming to the end of the series. And today is, if you like, the penultimate week. Next week, we've got our joint gathering over in Bourneville, where we're excited, gathering together as one church. But this is our penultimate week looking at living life well. And then two weeks time back here, we will have our kind of summary of all that we've looked at. And today, in many respects, these last few weeks are some of the trickiest. We live in a world, don't we, where there's a massive emphasis on rights. This is the UN Declaration of Human Rights, and here are the opening articles of it. All human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. They're endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in a spirit of brotherhood. Everyone's entitled to all the rights and freedoms set forth in this declaration without distinction of any kind. We live in a world of rights, don't we? So that the other day I was in a restaurant and the waiter spilt something, and my initial reaction wasn't, oh dear, that's a shame, isn't it? My initial reaction was, I wonder if I can get some free drinks out of this. We live in a world of rights, and many of those are good rights, important as we'll see. But therefore, there is a tendency in our culture to emphasize my rights. Did you watch Lauren Hill on Glastonbury the other day? Uh, This is what she said. What do I owe anybody that I should submit my will to them? My rights. Or I love this relationship advice that I saw the other day. Never trust a person that has let you down more than two times. Once was a warning, twice was a lesson. Anything more than that is simply taking advantage. And so in this world of rights that is necessary and crucial, as we'll see, there is also a potential for damage. But the reality is that we live in this world where there's such a need for rights because of the abuse of them. We live in this era, don't we? Where we've heard over recent years of some horrific things that frankly we always knew were going on, but then finally we had evidence of it with Harvey Weinstein being accused of account after account of horrific behavior. Abuse, manipulation, coercion, leading to a phrase that sums up our age, the Me Too era. And this struck home to me a few years ago when I was with a group of old school friends. Uh, And one of these friends, she is an acting agent. And she spent the whole of our evening, this group of school friends, on the telephone to one of her clients in London, who was in the middle of filming at that moment, 
And this actor, she was new. This was her big opportunity of a primetime BBC drama alongside a male actor who was very, very well known. And in the middle of filming this big break for her, the director was frankly pressurizing her to take off more clothes than she was wanting to. And the words from the director were, well, there are plenty of other actors who I could get who would be happy to do it. We live in an era, sadly, where people's rights have been consistently abused and dominated over by those with power, whether that is legal pressure or not. We live in an age where so many of us can say, yeah, me too, this happened to me. But we know that that isn't a reality just out there in certain sectors of the world, certain media or certain practices in business or government. But we also know it's even closer to home, don't we? With story after story within churches, whether it be megachurch pastors or even in the last 10 days, someone in the British UK evangelical scene that many of us in this room may know. But we also know that these aren't just news stories out there. Whether it is bosses that overly intimidate, friends who cleverly dominate, parents who forcefully dictate, partners who willfully manipulate, the Me Too era has frankly been a long time coming, hasn't it? Long overdue. And so when you take a look at the earliest Christians and some of the things they were saying, and even some of the words we've read this morning, frankly, they can seem very jarring for our age. These are some words from Paul, who'd had his life flipped upside down by Jesus, and he wrote these words that were looked at last week. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The idea in our culture for so many of us of submitting to others seems at best outdated or at worst, frankly, dangerous. As one author puts it, the idea of submission is an unpopular, repugnant concept these days. Repugnant concept, try saying that. The notion of giving away power conjures up images of becoming a doormat, a weak-willed non-entity or a brainwashed cult follower. Submission. So as we come to the end of a year living life well, what on earth are we doing as we're talking about submission? What on earth does the Bible mean when it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Well, I want to suggest this morning that this kind of submission, done rightly, is actually the kind of community that we all want to be a part of. Mutual submission, uh, that happening in relationships, are the kind of relationships we all want, not ones where I assert my rights over another. Here's the dictionary definition of submit. It simply means to give over or yield to the power or authority of another. To give over or yield your power to the power or authority of another. And I want to suggest from the passages that we've just read, there are three ways the earliest Christians did this. Three things that they gave up 
for the sake of each other. And I think we might all pay attention to these today. The first is this. They willingly gave over their attitudes. Listen again to the words that are read to us from Paul, the man who'd had his life flipped upside down by Jesus, who used to oppose the church and want to kill them and wipe it out. And then suddenly he met Jesus and had his life changed. This is what he says to a church in a city called Philippi. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. In humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Here's a question from that. How many of us are willing to come second for the sake of somebody else coming first? In our world of social media where we always want to win an argument, dominate a conversation, enforce our views, What does it look like to be a community where we value others above ourselves rather than presuming that I'm right, so therefore I need to dominate? I've mentioned this before. It struck me a few years ago when I was coming, approaching a job uh, interview. This is long, many, many years ago where I was approaching a job interview and I was praying about this job. And of course, my prayers were, Lord, please give me this job. And I suddenly realized that what my prayers were really saying is, Lord, don't give them this job. (laughs) Valuing others above myself. In a world that focuses on me and my rights, what does it look like to be so concerned about others? But you notice something, what he goes on to say? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And I want to just say something right here, right now, because I know there may be people in this room right now who frankly have had some horrific things done to them or had certain things said to them using this kind of thinking that you must submit to me and it's been justified in sort of semi-Christian language, or you've even been in church contexts where the leadership has acted in a certain way because of their, quotes authority. And I want you to focus on the last phrase. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. It's important to realize what submission isn't. And can I just name this? The ancient practice of submission is not about submitting to oppressive or abusive behavior. Abusive relationships and behavior are never, never a pattern for healthy living. And injustice like that needs to be battled against, not colluded with. Because isn't that what Jesus did? In his attitude to women, in his attitude to children, in his attitude to the Pharisees, who the ones that had the power and supposedly lording it over others. He was never colluding with injustice, consistently standing against it. And so the idea of submission should be Christ-like submission, having the same mindset of him. 
In fact, dare I say, if there's anyone in this room who has used this as a way of justifying getting what I want, I think we undo everything because we forget we're called to have the same relationships and the same mindset as Jesus to each other. This kind of attitude. That if you heard the story, in recent years, there's been a number of stories of ambulances blocking people's driveways. And with pretty brutal things, like this note left on an ambulance window, you blocked my driveway, I waited 45 minutes for you to move, please have some consideration where you park the ambulance, this is not the first time. Might I suggest that being willing to give over our attitudes is more like this approach that was in the news at the end of last year. I love it. You're blocking our drive. No worries. Buy a coffee when you can. Might I suggest that sort of relationship is what we as a community are called to model. Having our attitudes that I'm not the boss. I'm willing to come second. Because isn't that the kind of community we want to be part of? Where mutually people are doing that for us, and therefore we can do it for them in this dance together. So firstly, they gave over their attitudes, not thinking of themselves as more highly than others. The second thing is this. They also gave over their ambitions. A natural consequence of changing how we see others is changing our hopes and our plans for the future. Listen again to Paul's words to this church in Philippi. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Selfish ambition. And when you value others higher than yourself, it changes your hopes and dreams for the future. And a great example of this was a story that many of us will remember a few years ago in 2016 in the World Triathlon Series. Remember it in Mexico? Here they are, the Brownlee brothers, legends in triathlon circles. Johnny Brownlee was leading in the World Triathlon Series with less than half a mile to go, so nearly there, when he slowed and staggered to a water station. And his brother, Alistair, who was kind of battling for second position with a South African guy called Henry Schumann, he veered over, his brother veered over and took Johnny's arm, put his arm over his shoulder and began hauling him along together. And meanwhile, the South African Schumann, what did he do? Of course, ran past and won. And when the Brownleys got to the finishing line, Alistair who was in second, pushed his brother Johnny, who was in first, over the line before him. And afterwards, he was admitted to hospital, collapsing from dehydration. His ambition came second to that of his brother, that he was willing to usher over the line even before him. Isn't that the kind of community we want? Aren't they the kind of relationships we want? Where it's not me first, it's the community first. Am I willing to come second or third for the sake of the community? 
for the sake of others, in which I lay aside my selfish ambitions. So that's the second thing. They gave over their attitudes. They gave over their ambitions. But thirdly, they also gave over their resources. There was a practical, a very practical outworking of this, which comes from our first reading. Do you notice it? Listen again. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Do you notice that? Same phrase from earlier. And because of that, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to any who had need. Wow. That's willing to come second or third, isn't it? So that there was no need in that community because of the attitudes changing towards others, the ambitions they had for themselves changing towards themselves and others, and it resulted in what they did with their money and their resources. Now, what we do with our money is quite a tricky thing, isn't it? I'm sure you've heard the old joke about an old man on his deathbed and wanted to be buried with his money. So he called his priest, his doctor, and his lawyer to his bedside. And he said to the three, here's 30,000 pound cash to be held by each of you. And I trust you to put this in my coffin when I die so I can take all my money with me. At the funeral, each man put an envelope in the coffin. And riding away in the hearse, the priest suddenly broke into tears and confessed. I only put 20,000 pounds into the envelope because I needed 10,000 pounds to repair the roof of the church, he said. Well, since we're confiding in each other, the doctor said, I only put 10,000 pounds in the envelope because we needed a new x-ray machine for the pediatric ward and it cost 20,000 pounds. The lawyer was aghast. I'm ashamed of you both, he said. I wanted to know that when I put my envelope in that coffin, I enclosed a check for the full amount. Boom, boom. Now, I don't think this passage, the early church is arguing for some sort of communalism where nobody owned anything, but rather they shared everything because of the heart towards each other, giving away, giving over for the sake of others. This is also obviously a culture where there's no welfare state. And actually, the early church grew. One of the main reasons is because of the way they cared for the people that nobody else wanted to care for. Maybe that's a calling for the church in the 21st century. There's something about being belonging to a community in which you play a part that means there's something we do with our resources. Now, I don't think it's right to draw a direct line from this to say that we all need to be selling our fields to give to the church, or whatever the equivalent is. But we do want to be a community in which we play our part, in which all of us who belong to this community are involved in contributing to the community. And so we here at Riverside have Riverside Money Advice. Many of you will know the brilliant work that Riverside Money Advice does, helping a variety of people from a variety of backgrounds with money problems, getting people out of debt and the joy and freedom that they experience is fantastic. And can I say, if that's you here this morning, if you know you have debt issues that are frankly overwhelming, Riverside Money Advice would love to help. 
But also today, uh, you will know if you are a regular in Riverside, you will have received a letter recently about Riverside and about the money and about giving. And today, in Outlook, you'll find information about what's happening after the service, because today we have what's called our giving review. And frankly, this is an opportunity for any one of us who calls Riverside our home, that it is our community, our family, to play our part. And so can I say, if you do call Riverside your church, and you don't currently give in any meaningful or regular way, but you know you can, can I urge you to consider doing so? To be part of the community and contributing in that way. Secondly, if you do give regularly, we want to say thank you so much for all of the sacrifice that I know that goes on in this room and way beyond. Lives have been changed by what we as a community contribute. But if you do and you know you haven't changed that or haven't reviewed it, haven't looked at it recently, there's an opportunity simply to do so, to look again at, is there something that needs to change in the amount I give? Can it go up? And it doesn't need to go down. We all get familiar, don't we? And in our kind of banking culture, it just goes out, whatever. We get so familiar that we forget years go by and we forget. So this is simply an opportunity for us to have a look again. Is there more that I can do as things need to change? Or for others of us, it may be that we know that right now we're in a situation where we can do the equivalent of giving a field, as it were, or whatever that might be because of what God has done in us and through us. So this week after the service and next week as well, there's going to be a team of people that would love to chat with you. If you've got any questions about anything, very low key, just head there afterwards or there is details in Outlook. They're very friendly, I've been told to tell you. Either way, the point is this, in all of this, that we all deep down long for the kind of community that shows mutual submission, where people have got my back, and so I want to have their back, where it's not about what I want, but it's about how we together can model something God has done something different in us to the world around us. And so as I close, the key question is, great, but how on earth can we do that? It seems so counter to what I feel inside or to what society tells me. And I think we can do this when we look way back to Jesus being willing to pray that prayer as he faced death. Take this cup from me, Father, yet not my will be done, but yours. It's only when we see the amazing sacrifice that Jesus has made. It's only when we see the, all that Jesus submitted to for your sake and mine can we ever realize how much we've been given and therefore how much we can freely give over. Because the God of eternity loves you and gave himself for you. Not my will be done, but yours, he said. May we be a people who live that kind of relationship. <laughs>